Hey there, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles. Appreciate the fact that you guys have stomached Keith and I for as long as you have. We enjoy bringing the show your way and appreciate your patronage. Want to remind you, by the way, that the season ticket renewal deadline is rapidly approaching. It's in mid-April, April 15th. If you haven't renewed your season tickets for football, go ahead and do so for the 2022 season. A lot to like based on what we've seen so far at spring practice. For all the information, go to Seminoles.com backslash tickets. Uh, that's if you're going to renew. Or if you want to get tickets for the first time, you can get a reserve seat for all home games. Uh, they range in price from 330 bucks to 800 bucks uh, all in, depending on the seat location. Again, Seminoles.com backslash tickets to answer those questions as we count it down to the 2022 campaign. That said, let's count it down to the start of Front Row Knowles, which is right now. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I'm the same way you are, Tommy, and we haven't even talked about it. I'm heartbroken and disappointed. Really excited about today's show and having Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher join us coming up in just a little bit. It should be an interesting conversation, don't you think? That's why I'm disappointed and heartbroken, because they didn't agree to join our show. Well, and then there's that. But we will opine about that when Bob Frante joins us in segment two. That was that was some interesting college football theater. You know, uh, what we realized time and again during the offseason of college football whether it's that, whether it's NIL, whether it's transfer portal, whatever it is, we realize how much we miss the actual real season. Is That's pretty much what we affirm the rest of the year, Keith. What we do know is that the importance and the, um, uh, the, the, the way the public reacts, the popularity uh, is continuing despite everything uh, that might be considered negative from the simple fact that we're going to just stop everything in the world of college football and listen to two grown men fuss at each other. (laughs) All right. So we'll talk a little bit about those two later on in the show. Bob Ferrante will join us. We'll catch up on FSU news. Unfortunately, crushing end to the season for the Florida state softball team, baseball team's not at the end, but uh, I'll tell you what, they're, they're, they're headed for a wall and they better find a way to turn things around here pretty soon. They have an opportunity today and tomorrow in the ACC tournament and on the golf course, Women's golf team had a terrific finish. The men's golf team is at the NCAA championship starting Friday. And uh, Keith, you'll have a chance to catch up with Trey Jones a little bit later on in the show. Yeah, we cheated. We did a little early interview with Trey. He was actually out on the actual golf course watching the women finish up their quarterfinal match, which unfortunately they dropped three to two. Uh, But yeah, a lot of great things going on, but I circle back to uh, how I begin my comments, just disappointed and heartbroken for Coach Alameda and the ladies on the softball field. Uh, what a great, I mean, an absolutely outstanding season. And it just it just hurts to see it end the way it did, but couldn't be more proud for a group of uh, women and, and what they accomplished in their body of work. Yeah, they won't appreciate that right now. But uh, when they get removed from the raw emotion of it, they'll look back fondly, uh, even at this season, but certainly at the last several years that they put together. Uh, but when you have when you've advanced out of the regionals every year since 2012, you certainly don't expect that to happen to go 0-2 in your home stadium end the season but that is what happened and that's uh that's why we all enjoy sports we just don't enjoy it when that happens against our team all right we'll take a break come back with more front row knolls after this 
Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. It is time to crank open the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to the Osceola's very own Bob Franta. Hey, Bob, how are you? Hello, guys. How are you? I'm in mourning still. I'm in mourning about softball. I know this is old news now, and people have tried to turn the page, and here I come back with a dagger and just stick it back in there, but we haven't chatted about it. I was I was just stunned on Sunday when I watched it unfold. They, they'd won so many games in walk-off fashion, dramatic fashion. I was just waiting for it to happen one more time, but alas, it did not, and so that was a shocker. Yeah, you felt like the cardiac kids were going to have one more comeback in them, and it was going to happen at some point on Sunday, and, and it just it just never came, obviously. Um, a really, really fun-to-watch team, you know, 54-7, and seven, an ACC tournament title, Sidney Sherrill, Kat Sandercock, Danielle Watson, a great team, all nine positions, the pitching, fun to watch. And it, it was really their worst day of the year. And, and that's what's, you know, the postseason is so unforgiving. And, and it, it just came back to haunt Florida State at the worst possible time. But it, it, was, it was fun to watch, I think, right up until that Sunday. And the crowd support has been incredible all year. You know, they've had top five, top 10 crowds. So it's been, it's been a program that's been well supported. And I think well supported on social media too, in these last few days where, you know, fans have reached out and professors have reached out administrators at Florida state and, and shared their, their love and warmth for the program and the ladies and coach Alameda. I think the other thing is we, we got set up by the softball fill in the blank, whoever's in charge. You know, you have those two run rule games to begin. Uh, I had mentioned last week, you know, you can't rely on Cat 100%. You've got to have a performance by someone else. And Watson, I believe it was, came in and threw the no-hitter. So everything was primed. I think we all just got a little too complacent. Not the players, not the players, but us as fans. And as a result, that's why the disappointment is so great, if that makes any sense. You know, I sure. think – you know, you know, to some extent, I draw a comparison of what Krikorian said about building the Florida State soccer program. He put North Carolina as the bar and the soccer team at Florida State was going to meet or exceed. Lonnie Alameda at Florida State has set a bar for the ACC schools to catch up to. And, and, and they were caught up to in 2021, but then claimed the title this year. She set a standard for, for so many teams around the ACC in the Southeast. And we're seeing better teams out of the ACC, Clemson, Virginia Tech, better teams out of the SEC, top to bottom. Um, yeah, she's elevated this program to a point where the expectations are you're going to OKC and you're going to be there a long time. And I think that's really cool that, that she's done that and she's done it you know, candidly the right way. Um, she talks about being transformational, not transactional in, in relationships and how she, she builds a culture with this program, with the ladies and not just as softball players. Um, it's really awesome what she's done. And I think everybody's sad because it's, it's such a fun program to go watch or to watch on TV. And, and we want them to be playing this weekend and next weekend and the weekend after. And, and it's unfortunate that they're not, 
but in, in some degree it might just fire up through the off season. A lot of those returning players, just the memory of this and how much it stings is going to motivate a lot of people through that off season. You know, it reminds me of, and we'll use this as the segue. I think it was the 2002 baseball team that won 25 straight games. Now this was the super regionals, but then Notre Dame came in and won the supers two out of three and Notre Dame was not as highly thought of. That might've been a number one ranked Florida state baseball team. And it's not that you get complacent, but you just expect that when the score, when the game's over, you're going to be on the right side of the scoreboard. And it didn't happen that year. And that was, that was pretty crushing. I think that was O2 with Ryan Bartholomew and, Paul Maneri was coaching Notre Dame at that point. Anyway, uh, those were happier times on the baseball field. Maybe not that weekend, but the, the results of the season were better, Bob, than what we've seen this year. Just when we thought Florida State maybe was heading the right direction against Miami, they did what they've done all year. We shouldn't be surprised. They've been, it's been a roller coaster all year, and now as they head into the ACC tournament, it appears they're heading the wrong way again. So what should we expect? I have absolutely no clue what to expect from this team. I, I tend to watch every game thinking optimistically that you're going to see a great pitching performance, whether it's a starter or a long reliever or somebody, you know, back into the bullpen, like a Davis hair type. And I, they've got that capability, but they just, we haven't seen it of late. We haven't seen uh, the starting pitching be really good. Uh, we've seen a bullpen that's been overwhelmed and taxed. It's held up at times against Miami and then just, just couldn't do it. You know, Florida, North Carolina and some of these other games. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Mike Martin jr's got to regroup the guys and, and they're, they're going to have to battle some good teams and the rain up in Charlotte. Bryce Hubbard will go on Wednesday because uh, he only pitched one inning on Saturday up at North Carolina. Um, th these guys just have to get kind of mentally back in that mindset of, you know, this you're fighting for your postseason seed in, in many regards, you've gone from a national seed, to a number three seed in the eyes of D1 baseball and their analysts in, in one week. And that's a dr pretty dramatic fall. If you can kind of regroup and, and solidify yourselves with a good run here in Charlotte, you might be a two seed. You might draw a better regional, some more attractive um, potential postseason run. I know that sounds a little bit crazy because they're so inconsistent. You wonder how can they make a run? Um, but meat has, has, you know, brought up some history, you know, the 2010 team that struggled really late and then made a run to Omaha. Uh, we remember 17 and 19 where these, these teams were, you weren't sure what they were going to do. And 19 um, had a great run on, uh, on 11's last ride to Omaha. So you never quite know, even when right now you look at it and say, wow, this is, this is just a completely inconsistent team and it just doesn't look great. Well, what we do know is for any of us to have any great faith in them and for the outsiders to have great faith in them, they've got to have a big ACC tournament. This is not where they can go in and drop a couple of games and come back to Tallahassee early and get ready because the, the body of their work is going to elevate them. They, they got to have some wins up there. It starts with the starting pitching. If the starting pitching, I think, has been the glue that – when it is good or good enough, this team has found ways to kind of scrape by and win, win a lot of ugly games. And the defense has been a real sore spot of late. And I think that's, that's put pitchers in positions where you're getting four outs in an inning, unfortunately. And, um, but I, I think if, if they can put it together, whether it's starting pitching or, or some long relief, 
um, they, they can sneak out a win, maybe, um, maybe sneak out this pool win. It, it is possible, but as the ninth seed, ninth seed in their pool, you have to win both. You have to win both games and then be able to advance to the semifinal. So you're in a, you're in a bad spot just because of how your, your regular season body of work was. But yeah, they've, they've got to leave some kind of lasting positive in the eyes of the selection committee or yeah, you're, you're destined to be a three seed at an SEC site. And, and that puts you in a really, really difficult spot. Are they definitely in, Bob? If they go 0-2 and, and don't compete, are they definitely in? I think, yes. The, the nation's longest active streak is on the line, truly. I mean, we saw Miami a couple of years back missed out. Um, if they go 0-2, you're, you're going to be sweating through the weekend if you're in that clubhouse wondering, are you in or not? I can't definitively say it. If you go into that, you're out. I think one and one or, or two and oh, and get to a semifinal kind of, you can rest assured in that you're going to be in um, 10 weekend series wins is significant in, in my book. It's, it's one of the biggest positives that you can put out there for this program, even though there's a very, very long list of, of, of negatives, you know, honestly, when you look at the resume, go to the football field we found another offensive lineman bob is this a good thing i think you can never have enough good offensive linemen um you know alex atkins and coach norvell have, have said since you know 2020 um you need to have eight dependable offensive linemen eight guys who are versatile enough to play a couple positions and you know dimitri emmanuel is a guy who's played some right guard, some right tackle. I, I think we can, we're going to probably see him at right guard. I think that's where he best fits in. Um, you know, talking with, with some of our staff, Mark Salvo, who played on the offensive line at Florida State, he, he likes him as a guard. Charles Fishbein likes him as a guard. Uh, Mark Salvo really likes that, that kind of initial punch that he's got off the line. You know, sees a guy who's, who's pretty physical. Now the the caveat, of course, is, is he's played against a lot of G5 teams. He's played some, some games against Duke and Illinois. So there is some Power 5 competition mixed in there. But this is definitely a lineman who's going to have to jump right in, try to win a starting job in August, and, and potentially mix right in there because uh, week one is LSU, and you've got to be ready to go. But I, I think in the big picture, you can never have enough experienced versatile lineman um this guy's got a few years under his belt kind of been there and done that i think that that's going to be a good thing now, did i read correctly uh and and update me but uh he actually uh, coach atkins actually knows him he played for coach action actions uh Atkin, atkins for a year so from a understanding standpoint and a temperament standpoint you know it's it's a little bit more of a known quantity correct yeah, and, and to be honest, Dimitri is a guy who's, who's kept his recruitment pretty quiet. He really hasn't done interviews to this point, and, and it's kind of hard to know, um, you know too much about their relationship. But yeah, they were, they were together in 2019 in Charlotte, and I think that's advantageous. Um, you know what you're walking into. You know the expectations that Coach Atkins has. You're not just kind of walking into it blindly and learning from teammates in you know, say June and learning from them, learning a playbook, he kind of knows what the playbook is. And, and that's beneficial. Now, 
it's there are some similarities, but Norvell's got a lot of differences from what he's used to from 2019. This is a tough position for a transfer to come in and not have that spring. This isn't just a guy I think you would say, hey, he's a, a definite starter at right guard, but he's a guy you think is going to be in the mix, um, you know, with a pretty good room, a really improved room that Atkins has created on the offensive line. All right, we got men's and women's golf uh, doing really well in NCAA postseason play. Uh, more on that next segment when Trey Jones uh, joins Keith Jones. There's no relation, Keith, based on – I've seen you play golf, so I'm assuming there's no relation, right? Absolutely Trey? no relation there. Yeah. there. That is correct. Okay, I just want to set the record straight. So Trey will join uh, Keith next segment. Hey, Bob, I, I've sort of buried the lead here. I know this is old news, but the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban – brouhaha, whatever we want to call that. I don't get the sense that's going away anytime soon. And, and we know from covering Jimbo, uh, I mean, it just, we, we all recognize the tone in Jimbo's voice when we heard that press conference. You know, I almost texted KJ and said, you need to open a Twitter account right now and get on Twitter and follow all of this. Cause it was just, it was better than any movie, any drama you've ever seen for a couple hours the tweets, the back and forth, the who did this, who said that, it was priceless. I think, I think in the end, Nick was wrong to take a shot at Jimbo. It should not have been just on one guy and one program. In the end, Saban makes some good points too. And, and I think where we have to go toward is what are solutions? What are realistic solutions, guardrails, pick your term, get coaches in a room, and figure out what's realistic for the future of college athletics. And, and coaches are frustrated. We saw the frustration from Nick Saban, and we saw it from Jimbo Fisher. Well, that's, that's great to see. It's great to hear. It's great drama. I'm ready for let's have some serious discussions and figure out what we're going to do now. That, that's the problem, though, and that's why the frustration is so ratcheted up. There are no solutions. We're going to be two and three and five years down the road before we get the appropriate guardrails up. It's, it's absolutely maddening. Absolutely maddening. Thanks for being the uh, optimistic one of the three of us, Bob. I mean, uh, Keith, appreciate that. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know, I think Mike Bray, to some extent, you know, said it to Jerry and, and some of the other writers over at Amelia Island. He said, essentially, you know, shut up and adapt. And, and that's the, the short term is, is just that, but the long term is okay. You know, you're the coaches, you're part of the stakeholders, figure something out, have some true discussions. I hope we're not two to five years out of this, you know, wild, wild West NIL and tampering and, and all that. I think, I think there are some probably reasonable solutions if you, if you get down to it, I'm not saying I've got any of them besides, you know, limit the windows within the portal, limit the opportunities to transfer inside of a conference, you know, just like the SEC has done. Maybe the ACC needs to have that rule in football, especially. I think there's some things that you can do. Is it, is it, are the great guardrails? No. I mean, maybe that's just a start. Maybe it's just a start of, of getting toward something a little bit better. And I think we just need to see something that limits this just um, just craziness of, of what we're what we're stuck with right now. 
Tommy, here's my, and, and Bob, here's my analogy. This will either make things a little more crystal clear or it will annoy the bulk of our listeners. What we've got right now is like a, a courtroom and a jury and a murder trial. And all the defense team wants to do is create confusion and uncertainty so that the jurors can't really focus in on anything and there's a reasonable doubt. Somehow we've got to remove and move forward to corporate law where we're negotiating contracts face-to-face -face and everybody signs off on them and everybody agrees on them. How we get to point A from point A to point B, I don't know, but everybody that wants the chaos and wants things to remain as it is are just like those defense attorneys in a capital punishment case and we're trying to get somewhere near corporate law. He is our legal analyst, Keith Jones. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola is our Florida state expert. Bob, thanks for joining us as always, sir. Take care. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Keith Jones here with you, and we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep. This is a time that uh, we chose uh, to record something ahead of our regular schedule, and I'm pleased to be joined by the head men's golf coach at Florida State University in his 19th season. Uh, we say hello to Trey Jones. Trey, how's it going? I'm doing good. Thank you. Now, the reason we chose to do this route is Trey is actually out in Arizona, Scottsdale to be precise. And uh, we're taping this on Tuesday, right after the lunch hour, actually mid-afternoon to be fair. And uh, Trey, you've been following the women's team around. The, the news, good that they made the quarterfinals, but this particular outcome, not great for the ladies and Coach Bond. Well, it's not. And, and you know, it's hard to win in golf, and it's amazing that you go out and play uh, all those golf holes and it comes down to one shot so many times. We, we saw it on the, the PGA championship this weekend at Southern Hills. And now we're uh, fortunately saw it again and it did not fall our, our way, but uh, we had arguably uh, with Beatrice Whalen, arguably one of the best players to ever play here at Florida state. And um, she had an extra holes and, just didn't win her match. So it's kind of like having your um, your leading point score with the ball and a shot at the end of the game. That's kind of kind of all you can ask for. So what a, what a great season and a great job the women's team and the coaches did. That's, as they say, that's why we play them. Now we'll take a couple of days off and then your men's team will get ready. Uh, after having win at one, the uh, – uh, the uh, Palm Beach Regional down at the PGA National, uh, your guys are getting set to enter into the NCAA championship. Frame that for us and tell us how that's going to go forward in the next few days. So the next few days is we're out. Uh, we got in yesterday afternoon and then went out to watch the ladies finish. And we're fortunate enough to be able to see them tee off this morning. And now we're out preparing it. A couple of the courses here in Scottsdale just to get acclimated and our practice round will be at 6, 12 a.m. on Thursday morning at Greyhawk Golf Club. And um, we will tee off Friday at six, starting at 6, 10 
and then we'll go Saturday starting at 1130. Um, from there, uh, top 15 teams will play in the morning and the other 15 will play in the afternoon. They'll cut to 15 after three rounds. And then after four rounds, they cut to the final eight, uh, just like they did for the women. And then that's when the match play would begin with two matches uh, on Sunday, um, two matches on Tuesday and on Wednesday. There are listeners that don't uh, pay that much attention, even though they might be golf fans, they don't pay that much attention to the collegiate um, way of doing things. It, it's basically four rounds of stroke play and as many as two or three rounds of match play. You get both sides of the equation. No question. And uh, we're, um, you know, we're prepared for that. We knew that all year that um, the, the format, we played it last year. Um, so we, we've played several tournaments this year, Keith, that we, a little bit of stroke play goes into match play and how to switch and how to change your mentality from a match play golfer to a stroke play golfer or, or stroke play golfer to a match play golfer. Sorry. And Trey, you mentioned this uh, and, and the men's team, women's as well, but the men's team, as we're talking about, been on a roll. You made it to the quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament last year, and you're back with the opportunity to do it again. But this year's team, quite a bit different than last year's team. Has, is this as young and as good a group as you've had at your time at Florida State? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's been an interesting group because at the end of the fall season, we were ranked 60th. And that was one that um, uh, we had three sophomores and then two uh, grad transfers that uh, needed a lot of coaching and a lot of experience. And we took our, our knocks early with this team and stuck with them. And we have gotten better and better as the year goes on. And if you look at it right now, uh, this is one of our better golf teams. And no one would have thought that in January. And so uh, hats off to this group for uh, how hard they've worked and believing in us and, and then obviously their talent level. But we are playing. We're playing as well, you know, as, you know going into this tournament and confident going into this tournament as, as any team that we've had. And obviously last year losing John Pack and Vincent Norman, we feel like we had the best one-two punch in the country. Um, taking those guys out of the lineup um, was tough, but uh, – we're doing it a little bit more by committee this year where uh, all five guys we're, we're, we're better in the fifth spot than we were last year. We're better in the fourth spot. We're better in the third spot. And so those are taking up the slack in that one and two. And uh, on any given day, we, we can play with anybody in the country. Now we won't do disservice, or at least I won't, you can judge them one and two versus two and one, but, the top two players by any measurement are uh, Ketchup and, and Brett Roberts. Roberts coming off of the individual win down at Palm Beach and uh, Ketchup playing in your number one position the entire year. Just talk about the maturity and the development of those guys. And, and they have, you know, so once again, those two guys came in and got to play with John and Freddie. And those last year, I mean, not John and Freddie, but John and Vincent. And you can make mistakes and, and those seniors would cover you this year. There was no one to cover them. So uh, it's taken them a while to take on this new role. And Frederick's been our, our top player uh, most all the year. And then Brett goes down and he wins the regional at uh, Palm beach. But Brett, if you look at statistically for the year is our fourth best player. Uh, and that kind of tells you how the other guys have played as well. 
Well, I'll give him credit for one thing. He has been hot of late. Uh, Steve did a great job of putting out some notes. And I think uh, Brett is 19 under over his last seven rounds. I think you'll take that going forward in Arizona. <laughs> well, he did. He led us at the ACC tournament and he led us at the regional. And, you know, Brett was a top five recruit in the country. Definitely in the sports world would have been an elite five-star kid and made All-American as a freshman last year. So um, he's doing what really good players do is play well when they need to play well. Trey, we talked with uh, B last week, and she was talking about, and for those that play golf will understand this, that the courses out in Arizona are obviously different than some of the courses we play on the East Coast. If you're not in the fairway, you're basically in a big sand trap. And, and accuracy much more important potentially uh, on those Western courses than maybe on the East Coast. Agree or disagree? Well, I agree, and, and I wish it was a sand trap. It's, it's more like bushes and cactus and rocks and, and different things. I mean, it's literally probably a 25 to 30% chance that you actually get to swing at it when you hit it over there. Now, with that being said, um, it's just the same as, as we have at home, instead of out of bounds or water or whatever else, this is their confinement. The, the fairways are plenty large. You just have to learn how to focus on where you're trying to hit it. And your eyes can't start wandering to where you can't. Because when you do hit a foul ball, then you get to hit it again. You know, you're not going to drop it anywhere and say, okay, I went in the water here. I get to drop it up here. No, you get to hit that same shot over. And I think that's what bothers the players who aren't used to it. It's, it's basically a lost out-of-bounds ball if you hit it, it's a miss hit. But it has to be a bad miss hit. And I, I think last year for us in this tournament, we, we didn't look for a whole lot of balls. And uh, I'm, I'm going to guess that these guys, we're, we're not going to be looking for a lot of balls either. They, they dropped the ball really well. As we wrap up here, Trey, other than the obvious, you know, keep it in the fairway, hit your greens and regulations, make your putts. What's a couple of key things you're going to be talking with your kids about uh, during the practice round as they get ready to start competition? I think with us, it's going to be momentum. And when we've gotten off to a good start, we've been great. Um, we're not, um, you know, we don't chase a lot of people down, even though we have. I think just keeping good momentum out there while we're playing and, and, keeping yourselves into it. Uh, we need all five guys to play well in this, with this golf team. Uh, we, we don't have, uh, we don't have a, you know, a guy that's just going to carry us around no matter what. So it's going to take a total team effort, just like the women had a total team effort this week. So um, that, that's going to be my deal is for, for them to play, play the game for them to be themselves. Don't try to be anybody else. And uh, use the experience that we have because, Brett Roberts played here. He had, you know, he got five rounds in last year. Frederick got five rounds in. Cole Anderson got five rounds in. Michael Sakane, a transfer from JU, played here from as an individual last year. So we're bringing four guys out here that when we go out and play on Thursday for that practice round, they're going to know where to hit it. So um, I, I think being comfortable is a big, issue, a big addition too for us. Well, the Florida State Spins program getting ready to participate in the NCAA finals there in Scottsdale, Arizona. The Greyhawk Golf Club. We're visiting with Coach Trey Jones. Coach, we wish you luck. Let's bring home a trophy. I'll be happy to put it up on the shelf for you. You just let me know. Hey, Keith. Thank you, man. I absolutely love listening to your and Tom's show. Y'all y'all do an amazing job and uh, something a lot of us Seminoles look forward to every week. 
Well, we appreciate you very kind. We'll come back and wrap up Front Row Knowles. I'm Keith Jones. Stay with us. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Time to finish things up on Front Row Knowles. Keith, uh, I had to want to go back to that Jimbo Fisher conversation a little bit. Thanks to, thanks to Trey Jones for joining us, by the way. Uh, he's always he's done a great job with the program, first of all. And I wish the men the best of luck. But he's, you know, we, we got to appreciate him because we've had a lot of long-tenured coaches at Florida State, Keith. But all of a sudden you look up and there's, there's not Bobby and there, there's not 11 and there's not Sue and now Krikorian's gone. And so you start looking. I, I don't know who's at the top of the line now, but it may Trey's probably close here. Dwayne Holquist. Well, I think it's I think it's Leonard at twenty and Trey at nineteen. Yeah. Um, I don't want to shortchange Coach Poole or or Coach Bond, but I I think that's the number. We'll we'll maybe I'll do a little homework between now and next week, and I'll give you a definitive answer. We, uh, probably we, not. We appreciate him joining us and uh, going back to the previous conversation or the the earlier segment with with Bob. It is good that Florida State found another offensive lineman. I don't know that he's great, but he's another body. They need bodies. They brought three in this offseason, so that's a good thing. And and then your point about Jimbo and Nick, you you think this is this is uh, wrestling is is what you've got going. Maybe not. I'm not suggesting wrestling might be scripted a time or two. I'm not suggesting that. You're just Man, saying not, they know each other and they know how to push each other's buttons. Exactly. And so Nick I'm not Jimbo's. saying it's orchestrated. I'm not saying yeah. it's orchestrated. But it's it's kind of like what you and I used to do on Friday night sometime with our old friend and colleague, Paul Kennedy. We knew what might get him going on a particular night if we were out having dinner or whatever. And without even looking at each other, one or both of us would point him in that direction and just sit back and watch him go off. And uh, I equate this the same way. I don't think the, 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 the bond, the relationship, the respect between the two of them has been marginally or materially damaged. But I think it's like two brothers who get annoyed at each other. And particularly when one of them in Jimbo's case is considered the younger brother and in Nick's case is the older brother and they just squabble. They can do that amongst themselves, but don't, don't anyone dare try to get between the two of them individually because the other one will come to the rescue if need be. My opinion could be wrong, been wrong before. Well, if, if you're right, Keith, we will go back and uh, we'll have uh, producer Matthew dig up this, uh, this, this digital file uh, and we'll turn it into a promo for you being on top of it. <laughs> oh, let's don't hold our breath here. I hear you. I hear you. The, uh, by the way, I, I don't know. I, I can tell you this when I, when I used to host coach Fisher's show, um, obviously the coaching fraternity is a pretty small one and there's guys you like guys you don't really like, but you know, a lot of guys in the coaching business, especially once you've been at it 15, 20, 25 years, but Jimbo would frequently talk about, I think he had weekly calls with Nick. Now I don't, I'm not, I don't know if they were scheduled at a certain time. I'm talking during the season when, when they're pretty scheduled or if they were literally just text them now and then or whatever, but he frequently would mention, you know, say Florida state's dealing with an issue. And I don't even mean an off field issue. I mean, 
maybe it's a it's a strategy related thing. Like we're how do you, how do you defend third this? Down. It's third and two, yeah. and we're not converting. What do you need to do differently? J- Jimbo, would, this would be in commercial break, and Jimbo would say, you know, I talked to Nick, and they're having the same issue right there. They just played Ole Miss, and and so clearly they talked on a fairly regular basis. Now that's been several years. I don't know how much they talk now that they're in the same division. They used to be in different conferences. The period I'm talking about, but. Uh, I do agree that Jimbo had a lot of respect for Nick. Now, I don't know if that waned since he's joined the SEC or just since Nick made his comments about Jimbo buying his recruiting class or what have you. Um, I don't think you're totally wrong in what you're saying, though, Keith. Uh, it is it is brothers having a spat. Jimbo, Jimbo did go pretty far this time, uh, and then he doubled down about, we're done, we're done. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like everything else. You, you won't know until well after the fact. But um, you ask me my opinion, and my opinion is free, and I'm happy to share it with you and our listeners. Uh, I've never met Coach Saban. I've, I've known people that have been around him. Uh, I know what they say about him. I certainly was not as close to uh, Coach Fisher as you were. Uh, but I know this, Jimbo and I always got along well, and you're looking and, and listening to somebody who got his you-know-what, royally you-know-what, uh, in the locker room at NC State one time when Jimbo asked me my opinion about a targeting call, and I told him I thought it was a good one, and he didn't like it, and boy, he you know what me. And then the very next time I saw him, it was, you know, he was asking me well, how things were going and what could he could do for me. So, you know, I think it's the heat of the moment. I think it's the competitive juices and spirits. Uh, I think you're free to do that when you have a relationship with someone that you genuinely respect. And um, it's just the way things work in the competitive world that we're in these days. More fun ahead. The SEC has its meetings over in Sandestin, I think, next week, as a matter of fact. So if the SEC has any sense of humor at all, they will schedule Saban and Fisher back-to-back in press conferences. So they have to pass each other going to the dais. And, I I mean, uh, this is the irony of it, Keith. We're all bemoaning the fact that the ACC doesn't make as much money on its TV contract. The SEC is now – their ratings are even higher. I mean, now people are going to tune in even more to watch – off-season coaches press conferences just to see what Nick and Jimbo are going to say. Well, that's why I say it would be great if you would know and can believe that this was orchestrated. You know, they got into a huddle somewhere or on a Zoom call somewhere and said, all right, I'm going to say this and you say that and we'll just see where it takes us. I don't think that was the case at all, but I think it is coincidence and because of the relationship and the familiarity with each other, as we talked about in the past, you know, Jimbo knows how to push Nick's buttons and Nick knows how to push Jimbo's buttons. And uh, it just, uh, you know, it, re- it revolved and delved into that level. And um, we'll have to see what happens in the long term. But I don't think anything material was damaged. That's just my opinion. Well, I, I like your theory, Keith. Maybe, maybe they texted each other and then they got in the group text with all the other SEC coaches <laughs> and said, hey, guys, watch this and then just ask act really surprised on Twitter for about an hour and a half. Okay. If you just do that, we'll blow this thing up. Just play along. Well, uh, as we finish up and we only got a couple of minutes left, I know, but um, you know, you talked about the scheduling, you talked about the revenue, you know, I think it was very interesting to see that the, uh, the ACC revenue did go up. Uh, the, the, the difference in disparity still exists, but uh, it does lend itself as we talked last week about some importance and some significance on how you do the three, five, five, or what other scheduling model that is needed to try to continue a, to see if you can get any concessions out of ESPN and B, 
to have the ACC network increase so that as they uh, look at how they uh, charge for advertising and that type of thing, they've got a leg to stand on. So all of that, unfortunately, unfortunately goes into the mix along with the uh, wins and the losses and the product on the field. We'll finish things up, Keith. I'll go back to where we started, which is, which is softball, unfortunately. And now this is not, this is not to excuse FSU not making it out. And this is not why they didn't make it out because they're a better team than Mississippi state. But, but I can tell you somebody who's called college softball probably for 25 years since the mid nineties, the, the, there used to be a time, and this was after FSU was in the ACC, there were not enough schools in the ACC playing softball to garner an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So there was some, consortium of schools from multiple conferences it was like fsu and two other schools in the acc plus east carolina and the university of south florida i forget what it was called this is during the joanne graff years and fsu would be the best out of that group of six every year and so they'd get the ncaa bid i'm going a long way to say and then slowly but surely new programs came along like clemson and duke and I don't even know how many ACC teams in softball advanced to the Supers this time around. I think it's at least three. I think Clemson, Duke, and Virginia Tech did, and there might be one more. That, that, was un, that would have been unheard of when they started exactly. Super Regional play. Exactly. I mean, it, it has gotten uh, – so I'm making the point that the, the caliber of play, not to mention it's, it's much more fun and offensive. When I started calling the games, everything was one nothing. Uh, now, of course, it's not that way. So it's come a long way. Again, doesn't excuse it. It, it is sports. Uh, and, and I said this earlier, Keith. It's why we love sports because it's not scripted and you don't know how it's going to play out. It's just when your team is the favorite and it doesn't play out the way it should for the favorite, man, it stings. Plus when your favorite has had such a, a level of success that you're almost spoiled and let's face it, coach Alameda has spoiled us and these ladies have spoiled us. No question. All right. We're out of time. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll do it again next week. Thanks for tuning in to front row Knowles.